Hey Future Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And we are the hosts of Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Each week, we'll dive into some of the most unnerving crimes that this unnatural world has to offer. Listen for Unnatural on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. gentlemen, girls and boys, and dudes of all teenagers, as well as the uh, gals. My name is Christian Chandler. I am here, and y'all are there. Hi friends, I'm Dee Dee West, and this is Broken Limelight. This is going to be a long and weird story. Today I'm going to tell you all about Chris Chan. You may not have heard of Chris Chan, but Chris Chan is actually an internet sensation who became known for creating a web series called Sonichu, which is basically a mashup of the characters Sonic and Pikachu. Now, when I say that Chris Chan and Sonichu became well-known, it's not because the web series was any good, but it's actually because Chris Chan became the main character of their own weird, fucked-up story. What started off as a story about a person who was bullied on the internet and became the victim of internet trolling and catfishing eventually evolved into a story about a person who would sexually abuse their elderly parent. This story is going to get really weird really fast. I want to give a million trigger warnings here because there will be some sexually explicit content in this episode. Surprise, surprise. There is something else I want to address before we get into this. Chris Chan identifies as a woman as of now. Chris goes by she and her pronouns. However, I will say that a lot of people, including people in the trans community, don't actually believe that Chris is truly transgender. They believe that Chris may actually be a predator who is just pretending to be transgender in order to be closer to and prey on women. When people say that people don't actually do that and it doesn't exist, it's true. Chris is like a bad example of transgender. Terrible example. He's like giving transgender people a a bad name. So with that said, it might actually be more offensive to refer to Chris as a she and her. Believe me, I don't want to misgender anybody and I don't want to step on any toes. I'm not one to speak for anybody else. But just to give you the most clear picture of this story, I think it's important that we understand the way Chris Chan lived their life as a man prior to the transition because Chris's views on women and men have a lot to do with this story. So I'm going to refer to Chris Chan as a he, leading up to the point of transition. I think after you guys hear the full story for yourselves, you'll be able to decide for yourself if you believe Chris or not. But again, the things that Chris says and does, they don't speak for the transgender community. Chris Chan was born Christopher Weston Chandler on February 24th, 1982. His parents were named Barbara Ann Weston and Robert Bob Chandler. 
Bob and Barbara met at a bar, and their marriage was pretty rushed. They were seemingly both trying to run away from prior marriages, so they rushed into a marriage with each other, and Chris was born just two years later. Barbara worked as a secretary, and she had a real hoarding problem. She was also said to be very emotionally abusive and just all around not a great mom. According to Chris, Barbara's family had distanced themselves from her because they thought she was a drunken whore, which shocks me that they would tell her son that. Barbara had another son named Cole from a previous marriage, and it's actually unclear who his real father was, as he feels that she lied about his father's identity and kept it from him his whole life. When Barbara and Bob got together, Cole was about 16 years old. Cole describes Bob as evil and negligent. He would often write to Chris and tell him to let me know when he's dead so I can celebrate. Cole says that Bob kept a gun and some bullets in a drawer and he never kept it locked up, so Cole would get curious once in a while and pull out the gun. And one time he put the gun to his head and he pulled the trigger. Fortunately, it wasn't loaded, and this was enough to quench his curiosity, and he never tried that again. He also had a blog, and he told a story about when some intruders tried to break into the house, and Barbara took the gun and shot at the steel door, and the gun just, like, ricocheted all over the room and almost hit Cole in the head. Like, it lodged into a plaster wall just, like, a foot away from his head. And they never talked about that. They never addressed it or anything, but it obviously really fucked Cole up because he continued to talk about it as an adult. And he would go back and visit the home and look at the bullet hole and stuff. And he also mentions that Bob wasn't home because he was out cheating on his wife. Cole would end up moving out by the time he was 17 and moved all the way to California by himself. And then Chris was born in 1982. By the way, Bob and Barbara were 40 and 54 years old, respectively, when Chris was born, so there was a really big generational gap there. Bob and Barbara both liked to go out and drink a lot, so they would often leave Chris with a babysitter from an early age, pretty much every night so that they could go out and party. When Chris was only 18 months old, his babysitter got frustrated with him and put him in a room full of toys with no lights on and just stuck him in there for the whole night. According to Chris, this experience would lead him to be nonverbal for the next six years. Chris also ended up being diagnosed with autism, so mental health professionals have said that he was probably going to be nonverbal anyway, but Chris insists that he did speak, like, baby talk up until that point, and then after that experience, he fully stopped. Although autism is genetic, it is possible that traumatic experiences like that can exacerbate the symptoms. Mental health professionals also told Chris's parents that he probably wouldn't make it to high school or be able to write his name, which they were proven wrong about. In those early years when Chris was nonverbal, he would become immersed in television shows like The Care Bears and Transformers, and Bob decided to go out and buy the Commodore 64 computer, hoping that maybe Chris could spend some time on it. He was pleasantly surprised when he saw how good Chris was with it. He was even developing games as early as six years old. It was super impressive. Chris received language training from an early age at the James Madison University. He finally ended his silence at age 7 after a trip to the toy store when he randomly picked up a toy and started reading the package out loud. Around this time, Bob and Chris had a shed in their backyard that they converted into a workshop that they called the Dream Studio. They hoped to build things together, and Bob even made a plaque that said, Dreaming Studio of Mr. C and Little C, where dreams do come true. Sadly, it ended up being used mostly by Barbara and all of her random shit that she was hoarding. He also attended the Nathaniel Green Elementary School until 4th grade when an incident occurred at his school. Chris asserts that the staff at the school didn't know how to handle autistic kids and they mistreated him. 
There was a thing that they used to do in schools up until the 90s in most places, and they called them scream rooms or timeout rooms, which is basically like a padded room where they would stick kids who were crying or having a tantrum, and they would just put them in there until they calmed down. In a time when nonverbal autistic people weren't well understood, they unfortunately would often be stuck in these rooms. Although Chris was nonverbal, he did screech a lot and really loudly. So Chris alleges that there was an incident where five staff members held him by his wrists and his ankles while he cried, and he also says that a principal forced him to sit on his lap while he said mean, offensive things to him. It's hard to tell if these things happened on two separate instances or they all happened at one time, because you'll find out that Chris tends to fabricate and embellish his stories, and they kind of mush together in the end. Chris also claims that that principal was gay, and he uses that to justify his homophobia. Chris is quoted as saying, I was abused by one. A homosexual principal of my elementary school slapped me on his lap, said offensive things to me, and I felt uncomfortable. That's not verified, but not impossible. It is possible, however, that Chris's opinions about these events are more colored by his parents' attitudes than they are by his own memories. So after this incident, his parents took him out of the school and they went after the school in court. The school board decided that Chris should go to a special needs school, but his parents rejected the idea and they instead homeschooled him. Again, they didn't have a really good understanding of autism and they kind of thought that a special needs school meant he was going to be institutionalized and mistreated like how mental, pa how mental patients often were. One day, Chris had a life-changing experience when he went shopping at the mall with his family. He ran into the Leonard Bernstein Symphony Orchestra, which was like an orchestra made of animatronic bears. And the conductor of the orchestra was Leonard Bernstein, who was a fully interactive animatronic bear that had a human controller behind the scenes. On this particular day, there weren't that many people there, so the bear gave Chris special attention, and he asked Chris what his name was, and Chris replied, Christopher, but the conductor misheard him and called him Christian. Chris took this as a profound sign from God, and he believed that his name was actually meant to be Christian. It was also around the Christmas time, so he felt that that just meant it was even more symbolic. This is just one example of Chris's extreme gullibility, and it seems as though his parents didn't discourage this because they would go forward and call him Christian from then on. Eventually, he would change his name legally. Throughout the legal proceedings, Chris would be homeschooled throughout the fifth grade, and eventually his family exhausted legal recourse. Chris and his father relocated to Richmond, Virginia, so that he could continue his education in a different school system, and he started with the sixth grade in the fall of 1992. Barbara stayed back at the family home to continue to work. Chris didn't really have a lot of friends, and whenever he did make a friend, it turned out that Bob would be kind of paying them off or giving them monetary gifts as a thank you for hanging out with Chris. And Chris eventually would figure this out. In 1993, Chris participated in a Sega Genesis Watch and Win sweepstakes, and against all odds, he won. The winner got a $1,000 shopping spree at KB Toys, and the story was highlighted in the news because he was autistic, so it was kind of heartwarming and a story of success for a special needs kid. This was a life-changing moment for Chris for a few reasons. First of all, he was able to get all of these video games and toys with his shopping spree, which just helped him indulge in this hobby of his. But also, all the attention he got kind of formed a sense of entitlement in him. He would continue participating in contests and sweepstakes and things like that, but he would be a terrible, terrible sore loser, and he really felt like he was entitled to win because of his autism. 
interestingly, Chris wasn't very tolerant of other people with special needs. He used to ride the bus to school, and he liked to sit at the very front so that he could be the very first one off. One day, he got into an altercation with another boy who wanted to get off first, and the boy ended up punching Chris in the face. After that, they made Chris take the bus for special ed students, and he says that deeply affected him. He said that he felt uncomfortable associating with people he considered, quote, slow in the minds. He said, I ended up with this really worse off, mentally challenged person who could hardly ever speak other than er. That boy bought me on the back of the head just for laughs. The special ed teacher who rode on the bus talked with his brother about it and kept him from bopping me. But having to put up with his nonsensical slur talk was just as cringy and horrifying. Ugh. Chris had a sizable group of girlfriends that he called gal pals. Sometimes he would have a crush on them, and if they had boyfriends, he would, like, observe them and just watch how they would flirt and interact and, like, fantasize about one day being able to experience the same thing. It's possible that these girls were nice to Chris out of pity or that maybe they wanted to protect them, kind of like a little brother. Chris has also made statements alluding to the fact that they were probably also in some kind of financial arrangements with Bob. Nonetheless, they, like, went to his birthday parties and they hung out. There's, like, tons of photos and videos of them all actually hanging out. And then for the senior prom, which, by the way, Chris took his mom as his date, his friend Tiffany asked him to dance, and it was probably just out of pity, but Christian took this as potentially meaning more. Of course, this would just lead to disappointment later. At Chris's high school graduation, he was completely heartbroken because he didn't get this award for an art project that he did. He actually, like, ran off crying and then sat at a table sobbing for the rest of the night, and he said that he should have won the award because he was autistic and he had to work harder for it, despite the fact that the person who actually won had a superior project. After graduation, Chris moved back to the family home and began attending the community college. Chris wanted to major in marketing, but his father moved him to a degree in computer-aided drafting and design, thinking that it would provide a, provide a better fit and a better future for him. Over time, Chris began to lose touch with his gal pals from high school, and by his own admission, his social life at the community college was lacking compared to his high school years. Around this time, Chris created a term that he called noviophobia, which meant a fear of speaking to a woman who has a boyfriend and therefore convincing her there was no point in you talking to her. And he actually stopped speaking to girls because of this. Like, he stopped being their friends if they had a boyfriend. He had a job once. He worked at Wendy's for a little bit, but he had a really hard time and got in trouble a lot. It was said that he took a lot of breaks. He once made a child cry by doing a Donald Duck impression. And he also drew an unflattering caricature of a female co-worker. At community college, he had a graphic design assignment where he was supposed to create a design for a CD cover. And he wanted to use the images of Sonic and Pikachu, but he wasn't allowed to use copyrighted characters. Thus was born Sonichu, which is just like it sounds. It's a mashup of Sonic and Pikachu. When Chris was 21, he was kicked out of his English class by his male teacher, who was possibly gay. And it's unclear why he was kicked out, because, of course, Chris's story changes a lot. Either way, this increased Chris's distaste in men, especially gay men. It was also around this time that his old childhood friend named Sarah Hammer got a boyfriend named Wes Isley. Now, this is interesting because for some reason, Chris never holds a grudge against women. This particular girl, Sarah Hammer, they met when Chris was like five years old, so he was still nonverbal at that time. Chris considered Sarah a good friend who helped him with his autistic symptoms and helped him, like, get out of his shell and stuff. But Sarah actually was more likely a bully who took advantage of him. 
there was an incident where Sarah actually told Chris that Casper, the friendly ghost, was hiding underneath her house in the crawl space. So Chris, five years old and nonverbal, climbed underneath her house and she trapped him in there for a half hour until his father showed up. And he just forgave her. So now they're 21 and Sarah Hammer gets a boyfriend and Chris decides to start his love quest. The love quest is Chris's pursuit to find a, quote, boyfriend-free girl. However, Chris quickly found that every girl he talked to already had a boyfriend, or so they claimed. He soon became neurotic about the, quote, infinitely high boyfriend factor and began concocting and employing various bizarre methods to attract women without actually having to approach or speak to them. One of his most celebrated techniques involved sitting in one place or pacing back and forth holding a sign that he called the attraction sign. The attraction sign, I will upload a picture of it so you can see it, but it it, it basically, it's like a big walking personal ad. It says, 21 and single white male, seeking a cute 18 to 21-year-old single female companion. It goes on to list some requirements, like she must be white and must not smoke and must have a car. And it finishes with, if any men read this sign, mind your own business. Chris also created an online newsletter that he called the Sonic News Dash, and he would use it as like a creative outlet, and he would include poems and skits and also his little personal ads. So he started doing things like passing this around at his college campus, and he would like post his signs up on the walls. And the Dean of Affairs was not down for this. Her name was Mary Lee Walsh, and she would give him numerous warnings and tell him, you can't do this. This is solicitation. And he would just do it anyway. So one day he posted this big sign up, and it was, you know, not appropriate. So she tore it down in front of him and told him, you are never going to get a girlfriend this way. Chris took this so personally, he considered her like an arch nemesis who was thwarting his quest for true love. <laughs> After numerous warnings, she called him into the office and what happened is unclear because again, all we have is Chris's biased account. But according to Chris, he went into her office for their little meeting, and Chris pretended to have a conversation out loud with Sonichu, and relaying what Sonichu was saying to her. And then after what Chris described as being talked down to rudely and hoarsely by Miss Walsh, he verbally attacked her in a fit of rage, going as far as to hex her with the dreaded curse yeha meha from Dragon Ball Z. He put a curse on her. Chris was told in no uncertain terms that he could not continue his love quest on campus, and that resulted in Chris slandering Miss Walsh on his website and sending her an attempt at an intimidated drawing. Don't go looking for it. <laughs> Chris would draw really sexual drawings uh, and, like, use them to, like, intimidate people and, I don't know, make them uncomfortable. It's a weird act of revenge. I don't really get it. But, like, for example, there's a drawing that he made of Miss Walsh sitting in a chair naked and, like, fingering herself. So this whole thing would end up getting him expelled from community college for a whole year, and in order to come back, he would have to take anger management classes and get psychiatric help. Eventually, it seems that he did because he was able to return and get his associate's degree in May of 2006. In 2003, Chris made the debut of his original music project, Christian and the Hedgehog Boys. Chris would basically take an existing song and cover it with his own words. Let me show you So Need a Cute Girl.
in 2004, Chris wrote a poem called Hard Love Quest, which was about his difficulties in finding a boyfriend-free girl. It reads, Here you see a sad and lonesome Christian see. As he is still stuck as a virgin with rage, he searched low and high to the end. The only delay is the fear of being already beaten by a boyfriend. Why do all the girls have to already be taken? A real shame. Boyfriends of all girls of possible matches for me are really lame. As I sit and sigh, I watch the girls go by. Afraid of a lame interception, I sit out in the open without hesitation. Matching girl descriptions are free. I wish one girl would notice and approach me. It would be way past cool, per se, if I could get a girlfriend by Valentine's Day. But for now, as you see, I am a sad and lonesome C. Chris completed his college education in 2006. After that, he promptly dropped out of society and devoted his life to finding a boyfriend-free girl, drawing Sonichu, and masturbating. That's what he called masturbating. And using his welfare money to buy video games and sex toys. He wouldn't make any serious attempts to seek out a career after graduation, even though he had a degree that could probably get him a pretty decent-paying job with relatively undemanding work. But both of his parents actually encouraged him to continue living off of welfare instead of getting a job. In 2005, Chris met a girl at a local game and card shop. Her name was Megan Schroeder, and she was also a social outcast, and she proved to be unusual in that she was actually willing to talk to Chris for more than five minutes. They quickly became close friends, although Megan claims that she had recently endured a bad breakup and she had to refuse to entertain Chris's obvious romantic interest. Chris, who seemingly based his stance on studying women from porn and anime, believed that the key to turning Megan's platonic feelings into romantic feelings was to make inappropriate advances towards her until she had to tell him to stop touching her. I'm not sure how he touched her, but it was in a way that it made her uncomfortable and she had to ask him to stop multiple times. I know that from what other women have said about Chris, he kind of does this thing where he gets too close to you when he talks and he kind of makes it impossible for you to escape them. He's also a very big guy and doesn't really acknowledge how small women are, or at least doesn't care, because women are said to have tried to, like, have to fight to get out of his grasp. In the summer of 2007, Chris put it all on the line for Megan. He decided to enter a rapping contest. It was the Parappa the Rapper contest. And he had this whole plan to win the prize that was a trip for two to Seattle. And apparently he thought that if he won this prize, it was going to sweep Megan off her feet and she was just going to go off to Seattle with him. Hey, P-Station. My name is Christian Chandler. I live in Bucksville, Virginia. I have a PSP. I like the rap. I play with the rapper. I go with you now. The only song I know is Master Onion, which I got from a demo I bought from my friend Megan. Well, this plan ended in disaster when Chris lost the contest to a guy named Adam Stackhouse, who subsequently became like Chris's arch nemesis. And then he learned that Megan wouldn't have gone with him anyway. So around this time, Chris was inspired to launch a comic book series featuring his electronic hedgehog Pokemon, Sonichu. Initially, the comic book was intended to focus on the life and times of Sonichu, but by like halfway through the first issue, the focus of the story shifted to being about Chris and his romantic misadventures. Little would Chris know, his life was about to permanently change as a result of his creation of this comic series. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In October of 2007, Chris Chan was discovered on the internet. Somebody posted an anonymous picture of Sonichu on a website called 4chan, and after that it was really easy to find the author of the Sonichu comic series. And once you found the name Chris Chan, it was like opening a treasure chest of information. There were all these things that he had posted on the internet, like his personal ads and his poems and stuff. So people found Chris Chan on 4chan, and it quickly became a huge topic of conversation. People were posting pictures and their accounts of Chris Chan on websites like Something Awful, on Encyclopedia Dramatica, which is like, like a Wikipedia, but it's like for trolls, like a trolling archive. I found this online thread where people are talking about it and like how they discovered him, and I'll post a link on the website, but let me just read some of this to you. This guy used to leave business cards at my school's library where he would hang out for hours looking for a boyfriend-free girl. This is how I first learned of him. From here, I developed something of an obsession culminating last summer when I made a special trip to a gaming store and local hangout where he had posted he would be. He was every bit as aspergic as I had imagined. I present to you Sonichu, and then it provides a link to the Sonichu stuff. And then it's just like all these different people started posting online, making fun of him, like, whoa, did you guys see this? And they're all linking all the different pages talking about him. So it all happened really fast, and he became this huge topic of conversation. So Chris found out about this article about him that was posted on Encyclopedia Dramatica, and he released a single YouTube video trying to diplomatically convince the website to remove the page. He goes on for a few minutes trying to defend himself to the trolls by giving his whole life story about all his trauma and his autism, and it ends up kind of backfiring and just further fueling the trolls. Chris made the mistake of engaging in this with the trolls, and kind of as a response to try to fight what was happening with Encyclopedia Dramatica, he drew a picture of himself fingering a naked woman, and it's like, it, it's graphic. He's there, it, She's nude, and he's like given a thumbs up. The woman in the picture had an uncanny resemblance to his friend, Megan Schroeder. So, of course, she was pissed about this, and he was already on really thin ice with her because of his incessant touching. But his followers, the trolls, everybody who was like following him at this point, They all thought that the picture resembled a character that he had drawn named Crystal, who was supposed to be his cartoon twin sister. So people thought that this sexual drawing was like some kind of incestuous fantasy. It didn't help that he captioned the picture with, Your sister has come for me. So then in order to defend himself in the honor of his fictional sister, he came forward and said, No, it actually is Megan. So this was the straw that broke the camel's back for Megan, and she severed the friendship between them. Not only that, but the troll saw just how easy it was to manipulate Chris, and they also thought that his creepy behavior was justification for them to continue trolling him. Chris declared war on Encyclopedia Dramatica. He would upload videos and post messages in his newsletter calling for people to back him up and help him to get this website taken down for what they did to him. And then one day, the page went down, and it was just a complete coincidence. It just, like, crashed or something. But he celebrated it as a victory, and he uploaded this whole video saying, like, we did it. But, of course, it had nothing to do with him, and it just went right back up the next day. And the trolls found this absolutely hilarious. 
Now, these trolls would end up going on a really large-scale trolling mission. Like, there would end up being groups of trolls, and some of them would even go in person and, like, audio record their conversations and stuff. So let me tell you about this first group of trolls. They called themselves the Miscreants, and they were led by a guy named Clyde Cash. This is going to get a little bit confusing, so try to keep up. Clyde Cash is a fictional character. They were a group of people who would take turns messaging Chris and catfishing him. So Clyde Cash was a character who was the ringleader of the group, and he was considered to be Chris's arch nemesis. Now, Clyde Cash had a brother named Ryan, who, of course, was also fictional, and they fabricated this story that they were huge fans of Chris, and because Chris was taking forever or, like, no longer releasing new episodes of Sonichu, Ryan Clash had committed suicide. Now, Chris, being naive and not having a very good understanding of death to begin with, he was, like, kind of sad, but also kind of indifferent. He also kind of was flattered that somebody actually killed themselves over his comic books. Clyde, feigning to be absolutely heartbroken over his brother's death, he swore to avenge his fallen brother by setting himself on a path to become Chris's arch-nemesis. We'll get back to Clyde a little bit later. The next character is Blanca Weiss. Blanca Weiss was an identity assumed by three trolls who posed as a girl who was trying to be Chris's girlfriend. And they did this for one thing. They were trying to get Chris's Sonichu medallion. The Sonichu medallion was a medallion that Chris made out of clay and, like, Crayola paint. But it was super symbolic and important to him. So this Blanca character messaged Chris and was like, Hi Chris, I create my own characters too. This is Jigliami, which is a cross between Jigglypuff and Amy Rose. And she made this deviant art page that was, like, dedicated to her character, and she gave Chris a link. And Anyway, they're, like, in this little online relationship where they're sharing art back and forth. They would instant message him, and they would talk to him on the phone, and they eventually convinced Chris to give Blanca the Sonichu medallion. So he mailed it to her, and... Like, it was the address of one of the three trolls, and what they did was they recorded a video of themselves destroying the medallion. They cut it up into pieces, they put it in a pickle jar, and they set it on fire. Chris still hadn't realized that he had been catfished. He thought that somebody must have intercepted the package. So in his mind, Blanca's still out there. But the three trolls, they kind of gave up and, like, faded into obscurity. Then, in September of 2008, some other random troll named Lord Silly Nipples decided to continue the Blanca Weiss saga. So she got in contact with Chris again and convinced him that she was the same Blanca Weiss. She managed to make him fall in love with her again, and she coerced him into sending her nude pictures of himself. On September 11th of 2008, Lord Silly Nipples leaked Chris's nude pictures, and then she changed her MySpace profile picture to a picture of a black man wearing a pickle suit. This would become a running joke. Every time they were, like, ready to out themselves as a catfish, they would use a black man in a pickle suit. Well, it's done. Hmm. Black and I, well, she broke up with me. Because the pickle man tricked me again. A few more stupid photos. Anyways, it's all them. She got angry. She broke up with me. Chris was absolutely humiliated, but I guess he still, like, had some hope that Blanca was out there and was his sweetheart. So the next day, he contacted Lord Silly Nipples and demanded that they have a Skype call in order to regain his trust. So they talked on Skype, and Chris confessed his love to her, and he gave her his address. 
Later on, Lord Sillynipples tried to convince Chris that Blanca was actually a black transvestite, but I guess that didn't work, and this must have been where he finally realized that she wasn't real. After Chris realized that he made a mistake in believing in Blanca, he decided to declare his true and honest love for another girl who went by the name of Panda Halo on September 24th, 2008. So Panda Halo was a whole nother troll who toyed with Chris for a while, and she discovered just how desperate Chris was for sex. She was able to get Chris to agree to some pretty bizarre sexual acts, such as convincing him to have sex with a dog for her pleasure. He actually said that he would be willing to have sex with a collie like Lassie. She also managed to obtain the first footage of Chris masturbating and audio of him talking about his sexual opinions. So this is where Clyde Cash comes back in. He's the arch nemesis. So Clyde Cash, in an act of revenge, he flew to Australia and raped Panda Halo. She fell pregnant with Clyde's child, a fact which didn't appear to phase Chris in the slightest. Now, of course, none of this really happened. These are all just characters telling Chris that this is happening. But when I say it didn't phase him, it's not because he didn't believe it was happening. So Clyde supposedly impregnated Panda Halo, and he immediately and generously offered to take care of Panda and their baby in his mansion, and Chris subtly pressured Panda into getting an abortion. As Chris was in the middle of lecturing Clyde about forgiveness, he was in an unusually forgiving mood and actively encouraged Panda to abandon her child to the man who had raped her so that Panda could go live with Chris in his parents' house. While Clyde offered a house to not only Panda and their child, but he also offered Chris to live there as well, he had one stipulation, and that was that Chris would have to get a job. Chris quickly rejected that idea. There was also the issue that Clyde's act of rape had gotten Panda addicted to sex, which, as a man who had learned everything he knows about sex from porn, Chris didn't question at all, and she expressed some interest in regular threesomes with Chris and Clyde. In the end, Panda gave Chris an ultimatum. Talk to Nintendo to make Sonichu a reality so that Chris could support their future family together, and she would gladly abort Clyde's baby and live with him as his sex-addicted, baby-spewing wife. Failure to do so meant that she would live with Clyde in his mansion and raise their child together. Chris, of course, wouldn't put in the effort to get the only two things he had ever truly cared about, which were sex and making Sonichu a reality, and forfeited Panda to Clyde. When Chris failed to meet her ultimatum, Panda seemingly ceased to exist. Coincidentally, this was in February 2009 when the Black Saturday bushfires happened and 173 people died, and Chris just assume that Panda Halo must have died in those fires. It didn't take long for Chris to bounce back, though. He found another girl named Julie, who also wasn't really Julie. Julie was actually a 13-year-old troll named Blue Spike, who also portrayed a character named Max, who would be Julie's brother. Chris had actually promised his virginity to both Julie and Panda Halo, and both of them were furious. Julie even threatened to kill herself. And these girls would do this often over Chris. Of course, it wasn't really happening. It was just because he was so indifferent and flattered when people killed themselves over him. So it was like they were constantly like egging him on to see how bad he could get. So Chris, ever classy, suggested a threesome with both Julie and Panda Halo. But Chris refused to drive to Ohio and insisted that Julie had to come to him. On February 20th, 2009, Chris created an infamous sex video for Julie with the help of his inflatable assistant, Kimmy. Now, Julie had an abusive brother named Max, and Max and Clyde Cash got together and convinced Chris that they had kidnapped Julie and taken her to the miscreant headquarters in Cleveland, Ohio, and they were planning to send her over to China. 
They actually got Chris to get in his car and drive all the way to Ohio trying to rescue Julie, and they got his parents all kinds of worried. A couple days before, Chris had actually just gone to his aunt's funeral, and he says that his ancestor spirits had wished him a safe trip to Ohio. Unfortunately, because Chris got the, quote, wrong address, he ended up at a rundown house in the ghetto. On March 3, 2009, Max gained control of Chris's PlayStation Network account, as well as his Yahoo account, and he threatened to sell them on eBay. So he basically blackmailed Chris and coerced him into... First of all, he had to change the mayor of his little fictional town, Quickville. He had to declare the mayor to be Billy Mays. And he also had to take the pieces of the destroyed Sonichu medallion and shove them up his anal cavity. After he did all of the things that they asked for, and he sent them video of it, Julie admitted that both she and Max were not real. He didn't let this get him down, though. He popped right back up. In March of 2009, shortly after Julie turned out to be a 13-year-old boy, Chris vowed that he would return to his real-life exploits of stalking women in public places in order to gain his sweetheart. This is when he met Emily. Emily's actually a real person. She was a journalism student, and she was the head of the Sonichu Girls, which was like a group of actual Sonichu fans who were girls. Chris decided to ask her out for lunch, and she actually took him up on his offer. Now, the first time that they were supposed to meet, Chris actually stood Emily up. Apparently, he was so stressed from his parents arguing over whether or not Emily was actually real. See, Bob believed that Emily was sincere and truly wanted to meet Chris, while Barb was a little bit more suspicious because she knows that Chris has been catfished in the past. Chris apparently could not handle the two arguments, so he just didn't go. Emily was pissed off and demanded that he reschedule, so they did, and the new date was set. When they finally did meet up for the day on March 19, 2009, Chris brought his 81-year-old father, Bob. But at least it wasn't his mom. The date was really weird, but Emily was super polite. And at the end of the date, Chris was trolled in real life by a man in a pickle suit. Emily actually left with the pickle man. And Chris admitted later that he was really proud of himself for not shitting his pants in that moment. So at the end of the day, Emily tried to be polite and give Chris a, a little hug, but he liked hugged her really tight, and apparently she was really tiny, and his arm was gigantic, and he, like, wrapped it around her neck, and it was, like, heavy on her. And I guess he tried to, like, wrap around her and kiss her, and she had to, like, forcefully twist out of this hug to avoid him. Then came a girl named Ivy. After the failed date, Chris was much more animated with Ivy, and he told her, if things don't work out with Emily, I would consider you for my new sweetheart. The next day, Clyde Cash thought it would be funny to send a bunch of hookers to, to Chris's house. <laughs> Chris was absolutely offended, and he didn't sleep with any of them. So Chris called up Ivy, and they shared their drawings with each other, and he told her all about his sexual fantasies. And from this point forward, he was utterly smitten with Ivy, and he genuinely thought that this would be his lucky break. Ivy, of course, was no different from the rest. She convinced Chris to give her a video tour of his home. This was a disaster because the house was an absolute mess and his parents were livid that he would actually show that to the whole world on the internet. They were legitimately afraid that the health department was going to come and condemn their home. This does not even deserve a captain's log introduction because this is dead serious. The inside and outside tour I did a few months ago of my house, everyone here the my mother and my father are angry at me! They're blaming me! It's my fault! I admit! It's my fault! I want everything about my house! Oh! The 
videos. I'll send in police. I'll send in everything in my power. Let's get it off the internet. Listen to me. Listen to me. Yes. Shut that goddamn thing off. I don't care what you do. I don't want to get kicked out of my house by the health department. And what you just did was stick a knife in our back and kill us. So yeah, please get everything off of the internet now, 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 now! Curse the trolls. Please verify yes. Chris also shared some details with Ivy about his incontinence issues and how Barb was constantly trying to persuade him to wear protective liners that he liked to call butt garments. It was then that their pastor finally came forward and tried to knock some sense into them. He was able to get Chris to temporarily halt his video production, but Ivy was able to convince him that everything would be fine as long as he deleted his videos from YouTube right after she saved them. And still, as one crisis passed, another one emerged. Chris was introduced to his new sweetheart, none other than Vanessa Hudgens. Yes, Vanessa Hudgens, the Disney star. Chris actually thought that he was dating Vanessa Hudgens. This was actually a guy named Joshua Hernandez. So Chris, Chris learned that Vanessa Hudgens was able, Chris had learned that Vanessa Hudgens supposedly wrote her own Wikipedia biography, and when he found out that you could do that, he felt that he had the right to do the same. When he failed to write his own Wikipedia biography, he tried to go onto Vanessa Hudgens' Wikipedia and get a little section added that said that he was her boyfriend. So Chris would chat with this guy, Joshua Hernandez, and he revealed a lot of his sexual preferences with his conversations with Vanessa as well, such as playing the role of a female, barking like a dog, and shouting Shazam during intercourse. And his chatting with Vanessa Hudgens also kind of overlapped with chatting with Ivy, so a lot of people justify this as him knowingly cheating on these girls, obviously without knowing that they're not real. So Josh Hernandez ended up conning Chris into buying an overpriced PSP from him, and Bob and Barbara found out. Bob and Barbara went to the police trying to get Josh arrested, but Rocky Shoemaker, the pastor, intervened and he asked the police to investigate the trolls. Because of this, Ivy broke her ties with Chris. Bob and Barbara also found out that Chris had been stealing money from Barb, so they tried to take matters into their own hands and sue Josh in small claims court. What happened afterwards isn't really known, but it's clear that once Josh was found out, he went quiet and has not interacted with Chris ever since. Then came a character called Liquid Chris, who was actually two trolls, a pair of twins, who both impersonated Chris Chan. This was really funny, because they basically went on the internet and were like, no, I'm the real Chris Chan. I'm the creator of Sonic Chu. And Chris engaged in it like an idiot, being like, no, I'm the real Chris Chan. How dare you try to take this from under me? On June 6, 2010, Chris drank a few beers and then drove over to the game place, which he had actually been banned from for screaming at a child. And he was clearly confrontational, so several people came out of the store to confront him. Chris got back in his car and tried to flee, and he nearly hit the manager twice as he tried to leave. The officers listened to both sides, and then they let Chris off with the warning after they made him delete some pictures that he had taken on his phone. Apparently, he took pictures of the manager and his daughter. Throughout the summer of 2010, Chris was online a lot less, and he was often seen at public events being a total creeper. Like, he would try to strike up conversations with really young women, like women who were clearly high school-aged, and he was seen taking a camera lens and pressing it to his eye like a telescope and watching women through it. In 2011, Chris started experimenting with dressing as a woman. 
He grew his hair out and started dressing in women's clothing and began referring to himself as a tom girl. On September 6, 2011, Chris's father, Bob, died. After that, nothing was really heard from Chris for a little bit until the end of October. Another incident occurred at the game place on October 28th, leading to the arrest of Chris and Barbara. This time, they actually hit the manager with their car. They were arrested near the scene and spent a day in jail. Both faced felony charges for failure to stop after an accident, while Chris also had a trespassing and misdemeanor assault, and Barb had a second felony charge for assault on a law enforcement officer. On May 1st, 2012, Chris posted on Facebook announcing that he had lost his virginity, supposedly to a woman who can be found, quote, somewhere on the back page. In 2014, they suffered a house fire that was started from a freight extension cord in the bathroom. They had an extension cord that was going from the bathroom and, like, hung over a door, and then it was plugged in to a coffee maker in the hallway. So because it was hung over the bathroom door, it had frayed from the door opening and shutting against it. Because of all the hoarded crap in the house, firefighters actually had to climb in through windows and had a lot of difficulty moving throughout the home. Now, here's something really interesting, and it's a real change of pace from what we've seen so far as far as Chris's audience. Chris's actual fan base put together a care package in the form of online donations, as well as basic necessities with a few amenities like markers and paints and modeling stuff, things like toys for Chris. It was almost worth a thousand American dollars. And with Bob gone, Chris and Barbara were now only depending on their income from social security payments. So Chris started taking commissions for his artwork and selling autographed photographs of himself on eBay. And Chris ended up blowing all of the money on toys and games. Needless to say, he and Barbara continued to struggle financially. In 2014, Chris came out on Facebook as lesbian-identified male and self-described intersex. He also expressed solidarity with the movement for LGBT equality, although he was very unhappy about having to include gay males. In 2016, Chris began watching YouTube videos from the channel Subliminal Frequency Hypnosis Wizard by Gnarl Beats in an attempt to deal with his gender dysphoria and improve his health for free without any sort of effort. His belief in the videos culminated on July 15, 2016, when he naively believed that a vagina was growing within him due to the videos, and he self-mutilated himself to free it. After this video announcement, a lot of people commented telling him to go see a doctor, but Chris continued to have faith in the videos. And then Chris tried to backtrack. He declared that he went to the doctor and got it examined. And then he was like, no, just kidding. It was all a ruse. I didn't actually cut myself. It was Photoshop. Because, of course, he shared the pictures. One internet user who goes by Marvin actually pressured and pressured Chris into going to the ER. And he explains that it was really difficult to actually get him to go. But he eventually did. Several months later, Chris was asked about the wound. And he said, please, 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 no comment. No comment. Everything's healed up. It's good. I'm still alive. Let's just... Leave it at that. Lay that to rest. Clearly, Chris was embarrassed about this. On August 10, 2016, Chris posted a response to an article about a mother and son couple who were arrested for incest. He admitted to having dreams about having sex with his own mother, but never having acted on them. Among other things, Chris also implied that incest, quote, offers a chance for better teaching the child how to better satisfy their eventual partners. That sounds like grooming talk. Then came another troll named The Idea Guy, and he was straight up evil. This guy was able to brainwash Chris into believing a lot of things, such as that Chris was bisexual and half sonichu, which ultimately culminated in Chris developing a messiah complex. 
they started using all this lore from a video game called Hyperdimension Neptunia, and they really confused Chris. They started to mix up his reality with his fantasy. They convinced him that a Sega Dreamcast console could contain a portal into his little quickieville. So Chris decided to run the console for 24 hours, place his hand on it, and he felt a shock. And he thought that it meant that the Neptunia goddess within it was possessing him. They also convinced Chris that he was a pedophile just because when he was in high school, he had crushes on his classmates. And they were able to extort thousands of dollars worth of gift cards and video games and other accessories from him by threatening to destroy his imaginary city of Quickville. Not only that, but they also demanded $20,000 or else they would report Chris as a pedophile to the FBI. They forced Chris to upload a lot of inappropriate videos of himself up to his Google Drive so that they could use it as leverage against him in the future. In order to pay them off, Chris started to sell his artwork, and he actually started prostituting himself. Finally, a vigilante group actually popped up, and they tried to stop the idea, guys. They were like, enough is enough. You're taking advantage of this guy. They involved the authorities, and the idea guys were done. That was the end of that. But the damage had already been done to Chris's psyche. What didn't help matters was the fact that COVID-19 happened, and he was forced to quarantine and further immerse himself into his fantasies. On July 29, 2021, an audio recording of a conversation made by a troll was released in which Chris said something really disturbing. Chris began telling multiple people, including his physician and a woman named Bella, who turned out to be a troll, that he had begun having sexual relations with an older woman. At the time, Chris was using euphemisms such as lady friend to mislead them and disguise the true nature of his actions. Bella was friendly to Chris and she ended up gaining his trust enough to the point that he revealed to her that his sexual partner was his own mother. Approached her with care and caution. It was a time approach. So I just gave her comfort and talked with her, and we just branched out slow and steady. And then I, then I heard, and I encouraged her positively. Let her make the first move, and she wanted to do it. And she, oh, she did really. She made the first move. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? How how did she do? It, if you don't mind me asking, what was the first move? Uh, uh I don't remember exactly. Um, well, that was her first move, but my approach was. How did she respond when you um when you approached her? What'd she say? I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was kind of was I think she was partially confused at one point, but but then she came around obviously with more approaching with more approaching than I was uh, doing with her along the way. How was did you? How was the first kiss? You kissed her. How did that feel? Having known this woman for your whole life, how did that feel? Oh yeah, I mean it was simple um, lip lip lock, lip to lip kiss content, but yeah, it's actually good and it felt right. When did you start having feelings for Barbara? Obviously, for you know, well, for a long time. I mean, I remember even mentioning some time ago in one of my videos that I even had dreams where I had dreams where I had sex with her. The trolls had been making jokes about this for years because Chris and Barb were super close, and they had even gone to prom together. And Chris had made a few off-putting comments about her in the past. The affair most likely began on June 27th, but based on Chris's social media presence earlier in the month, it may have began earlier. As early as June 22nd, Chris began addressing his mother by the pet name Barbie-chan, 
And he also used words like darling and dear when he talked to her. It was also discovered that after their house fire, Barbara and Chris were actually sharing a bed. They never ended up getting a new bed. So now in retrospect, people are looking back and thinking, you know what? They really did touch each other a lot when they talked. They were like a little bit too close. Chris revealed that he was having sex with his mother once every three nights. Bella released this phone call, and once the details got out, the authorities came and arrested Chris. Chris spent the next few months in jail before he was transferred to a mental health facility in March 2022. He's awaiting a court hearing set for July 28, 2022. He now believes himself to be Jesus of Nazareth reincarnated and believes that there is a dimensional merge that's about to occur. Barbara is 79 years old now, and she's possibly senile, though it's unclear. She has appeared in some of Chris's videos, like where they're asking for money, and it seems like she's kind of hazy, although that's just from what we can see as an audience. What interests me is how she and Chris were observed as being overly touchy, and that makes me wonder if this was at all consensual, or if maybe she was just an affectionate mom and he took advantage of her old age and pushed the limits. She was known to baby Chris a lot and tell him how handsome he was, and she also told him that the reason he often blanks out or gets confused is not because he's absent-minded, but that he is a creative genius and simply overwhelmed by having so many creative ideas. In 2016, the man in the pickle suit had observed Chris and Barb in public during a court hearing. He said, Barb and Chris are way too physically intimate. It's one thing to describe their creepy relationship, it's quite another to watch it in real life. They hold hands, and Chris is always putting his arm around her and rubbing her shoulder sensually. That shit I'd do to somebody I'd want to bang, not a family member. It's weird. After Chris's arrest, Barbara was sent home to go take care of herself. So that is the story of Chris Chan, so far. I will update as new stuff comes up. Although it's very likely that Chris will remain incarcerated forever or be deemed incapable of standing trial on his own. Like I said, Chris Chan is the most documented person on the internet, so I couldn't possibly include all the information about him. But if you would like to super duper deep dive into it, I recommend a, a YouTube series that's called Chris Chan, A Comprehensive History. It's like 65 parts and counting. There's like still new episodes coming out weekly, and it's like really deep dive. Every episode's like an hour or two long. And there's a lot of clips and videos about Chris. And like, let me just warn you, if you're going to like Google and look on the, the wikis and stuff, it's graphic. There's a lot of graphic drawings, so just be careful about that. As always, you can go to BrokenLimelight.com and see some of the videos that I describe and some pictures, and a not so much transcript as much as a compilation of my notes for this episode. Feel free to leave a comment on the website if you have a strong opinion about this, or go to Facebook.com and reach out to us there. And remember, if you want to support our podcast, you can do so for only 99 cents a month. Go ahead and look at the episode description, and there will be an easy-to-find link right there. Okay, thank you guys so much. Until next time, bye! Hello to all my lucky lady fans. Yes, I just got out of the shower. I feel clean again. Well, it gets lonely around here in my bedroom. I feel like I might want to date some of y'all. I mean, we get to know each other, you know? Have a pleasant dinner, or just enjoy a conversation over a cup of coffee. See where things go, see how we feel around each other. Hmm. Lovely, lovely times and memories to be shared. 
And even if things don't work out for the long run, you'll still get a new friend in me anyway. And I pinky promise on that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bark box, bark box, bark box, bark box. You guys know my dogs, Jude and Eleanor Rigby. Well, we just started getting in bark box, and I'm telling you, your dogs will love you. No more are they angry at the mailman. No more, I say. It's like a box of dog joy that's delivered every month, and each box tells a different story with different themed toys, treats, and photo-worthy props. Typically, what we get in each box is a couple of toys, a couple of treats, and a chew, but you can actually tailor fit your box to fit your dog's needs. Guys, I'm telling you, your dogs will love you, even more than they already do. So try it out, and if you use my link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is a $35 value. So just head to BarkBox.com slash Broken Limelight and get started on your first BarkBox today. Nailed it, Jude.